Welcome to the Molding Life Show, where we tell the amazing stories of everyday people that are committed to building a better life for themselves and those around them, and in turn, build generational wealth. In this episode of the show, we speak to Tando Pato about the release of her new book called On the Rocks, Memoir of a High-Functioning Alcoholic. Tando Pato, welcome to the show. We're really, really glad to have you on board. Thanks very much for doing this. Thank you for having me. So we're talking about something really exciting, and uh, I want you to show us the cover just now again, but your book launch is is imminent in a few days, actually. Uh, can you show us the book? Sure. This is the cover of Wow. Yeah. So we'll go into that just now. But I mean, it's called Under Rocks, Memoir of a High-Functioning Alcoholic. I love the title. I love the graphics. It reminds me of that movie. I don't know if you watched the one with with Tom Cruise. It's called Cocktail. Yes. uh, It's that same type of of feel to it. So I love the colors. Was it difficult to to pick that out? No. I think once we started discovering, discussing covers, the the thought, first it was coming up with a name. So that was the most stressful part of it. But once we came up with a name, everything else flowed. And I didn't want a depressing cover. I was just like, already the subject matter is a bit sensitive. And, um, I, I and I think the book is not depressing. It just tells a very a story, hopefully with some humor. Um, and so I wanted the cover to be inviting. And you know, because when when you are a high functioning alcoholic, life is lit. Like you're having a good time. You don't quite understand that actually I have a problem. So. Uh, I I literally thought about the cover concept and and I and I explained it to the to my publisher Melinda Ferguson and I said this is what I want and for a long time we did back and forth um, and she didn't want to put in the circle and I said the circle is so important because it gives the it it's like it's it's a club or a restaurant you know so people are going to be like hmm okay and then want to know more. Mm. I agree. Yeah. I agree. I love it. Uh, it actually does remind me of, you know, the, the neon signs you get in a club or a bar. And, exactly. Uh, and yeah, so it's like authentic with a story um, <laughs> in many ways, which is amazing. Um, so we'll go, I mean, there's so many different ways we'll go down this route, but I think just, I mean, to frame it for anyone that obviously doesn't know Tando Pato um, and maybe why you wrote the book as well. Can you give us a brief, like... You know, if someone met you for the first time and said, you know, like, like, what do you do? You know, uh, <laughs> is there something that kind of screams to mind? Look, ultimately, I'm a story, storyteller and a writer. Uh, my career has been focused around that in different ways. So I've, um, I studied journalism and then I worked in women's magazines, Oprah magazines, True Love, Marie Claire. Uh, Sunday Times Lifestyle, I freelanced for a long time, and then I moved into corporate communications, where I've been playing um, for the past five, six years. Um, so, yeah, um, currently in corporate communications, I work in internal communications. Um, but I like writer-storyteller, so as 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I love that. <laughs> I, lo- I love the storyteller stuff. And I think lots of people that are in communication, I think it's a, I wouldn't say it's a, it's almost, I, I wouldn't say it's a forgotten art. Maybe it's not a uncovered art as yet, but the whole storytelling, you know, I think is amazing. I think yeah. whether that comes from a brand marketing, you know, like small businesses. I think we had a conversation many, many years ago. Um, that's kind of the first time, you know, our paths crossed. But, uh, you know, when we were talking about something similar as well, it's like, I think every company, you know, obviously that's my, my thing, but every company should have like a compelling story. I think people don't put enough emphasis on that. And I think there's, there's definitely a space for more people like you that can help us tell a story <laughs> <laughs> because I think you, you forget how to tell a story or even understand what a good story is. Um, I think that's a whole different discussion, but today we're talking about your book and, and I think I want to let you introduce it in terms of firstly why you wanted to write the book, because in my in my opinion and my world, I think writing a book is amazing. But um, but you just showed us the physical copy, and you know, like even seeing it, you know, in in the flesh, must be amazing. Um, but tell us it, how that is. Actually, so I got my author's copies yesterday. So the book comes out on the 9th, will be available countrywide on the 19th of May. Um, And it was just like a May, like I screamed. (laughs) Like, (laughs) oh my God. "Ah!" Cool. Because I've been, you know, when you write a book, it's a a whole process. People think you just write and then somehow a book appears. And, And there's the actual writing of the manuscript which is a very solitary process because you're you're recalling things, you're framing things, you're you're deciding whether to leave things out, what to add. At the same time, you've got the imposter syndrome loud and you're saying, ooh, girl, I don't know about this. Mm." (laughs) So, (laughs) (laughs) um, So you've got a lot going on and then you hand over the manuscript and 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 you worry like oh my goodness so you know like I tried so hard not to bother Melinda and be like what do you think and lucky she was great with feedback and saying I love this I love that I love this I love that and you know she'd read the first 16,000 words which is why she agreed to publish it in the first place so she I had written it and so let me take a step back why I wrote the book um, I always wanted to write a book and I always thought I'd write a biography about somebody and I discussed it with Mel- with Melinda and, and for about two years we went back and forth with possible ideas and then I did a writing workshop with her and I was very raw and very, very tender and it was in 2018 after my, you know, i been diagnosed with cancer, I had a double mastectomy, implants, and and I was and I said to her, I think I have a drinking problem. And said, I, in fact, I said, no, I don't think I know I have a drinking problem, and I I want to write about that, but I can only do it when I'm sober. And so, it was I kept doing writing workshops with her and exploring the topic and stuff, but I wasn't getting sober. In fact my addiction I was deeper getting deeper and deeper and deeper into my addiction so uh lockdown I I think the universe God decided this this one is not getting the message in Joburg 
<laughs> so, <laughs> so is COVID your problem then? Yeah. So um, I I moved to Cape Town. I got a job in Cape Town, and I I moved to Cape Town to to live with my mom. And then COVID started, and I didn't have access to alcohol. So. I remember the day the lockdown started, like the day before I'd gone to the grocery store and I bought three bottles of wine and I told myself, okay, you know, it's 21 days. It'll be fine. You know? Um, And on the 30th of March, I said, okay, that's it. I'm not drinking. And lockdown unfolded and um, I suffer from anxiety and depression. So that, just was amplified as I stopped drinking. I didn't have, like, I actually did have access to alcohol. I worked with a colleague whose family owns a wine farm. So there were oh, bootleggings. Wow. <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you're in Cape Town as well. So it'll be like this, this, you know, and, and I knew people like, who were like, no, 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 no. I've got to connect and they deliver. I've got this, the, that. So there was, it's not that I didn't have access to, I just didn't have physical quick access to it. So um, when I was about six months sober, I called Melinda and I said, listen, I've been sober for this long. Um, I think I'm ready to, to tell the story. And she said, okay, um, right write and send me whatever you put together. We didn't put timelines on it or anything. So I started when, you know, and people always think, oh, you're a writer, you just write, you know, just, it doesn't work like that. (laughs) (laughs) You would know. Um, And when I was about nine months sober, I, I started writing in earnest and I would write 500 words a day. That was my ritual. I had to I gave myself like an hour and it was the the aim was to put down not less than 500 words a day. And that 500 words a day grew into 16,000 words, which I sent to Melinda in February of 2021. And she loved it. She was like, yes. Um, but I have to present to my big bosses. And so they, we then went into, you know, packaging it and, 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 and writing synopsis and this and that, and they liked it. Um, And then there was a sort of silence and then I continued writing, but there was a bit of a silence because Melinda was busy on other projects. She's always publishing stuff. And I stopped writing. And I I think it was also what I realized is, is some of the stuff I was actually processing as I was writing. So it was quite difficult. So, you know, to, to write about stuff and think, mm. you know, to think back on it and to feel and 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 I had to keep reminding myself throughout the process of writing is that I wanted to write a book I wanted to read. So I wanted to be, I like honest autobiographies where people are candid about their lives. You don't have to hang out your dirty laundry, but just be candid about what you were feeling. So I tried to be that. Um, And then September, Mark came back to me and she was just like, listen, listen, uh, they want the book next year to come published May. I need the manuscript with December. So then now it's just this mad scramble to put it together. Um, 
And yeah, I, but I did it and I handed it to her in December. And in at the end of January, she came back to me with edits. And then we did back and forth, editing, proofreading. It went to an editor. So there's a whole process in the writing where you keep reading your same words and you're, you're proving this, you're proving that. And, and after a while, you're just like, oh, I just don't want to see it anymore. Or mm. can it come out? Because mm. you know, everything is on email, PDF and sticky notes and this mm. and that. Um, and so to see it finally in this is... is um, it's like, wow, like I can't wait to see it on shelf. Like I, I keep smile, going into exclusive books and smiling and be like, my book is going to be there. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's amazing. Uh, I mean, congratulations, because I think that is an amazing, you know, accomplishment. I think, as you said as well, you know, seeing it in the bookstores that we know and love, you know, like exclusive books will be amazing. Uh, I think yeah. that that is incredible. I think that that's the first thing, you know, even without talking about, you know, why and, you know, how the writing process is. Um, I remember many, many years ago, I, um, I, I read a book from Guy Kawasaki, I think it is, and he writes a lot. But he said, you know, like anyone can get a digital book done. No, not anyone, but, you know, you know, you can get it done, published on Amazon Kindle. But you know, he said going through that whole publishing process and having someone like you said, Melinda, and then having, you know, editors and going through that, you know, that whole manuscript part, it forces you to almost like align to how the industry is and in itself almost like vet the idea for you. And uh, did you find the same? Absolutely. I mean, because it had been between Melinda and I, so it was sort of like I sent a chapter here to a friend or there, but it 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 was like this thing between Melinda and I, and I trust Melinda. Um, but it was when Sean, the editor, read it, and he he wrote me a, a beautiful email, and he was just like, "It's it's very well written and considered, and and it there's no self pity that usually goes with these books. You know, you 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 just tell a story, and then it was like, oh, okay." It's getting, it's getting out there. Um, and then when you send it to, because we need cover shots. So you need to send it to the people. I've got Justice Malala, Sam Cowan, and Kojo before. I had to send Amazing. it to them to read. And that was another process of, like a vetting process of sorts, because their feedback comes back and they're like, oh, okay. Um, so it definitely is, um, it, you know, it, it helps to prepare you for when the book comes out. You, you don't know because, of course, you know, once it's out there, there are going to be different reactions. But it, it, it gives me a self-belief that, okay, what I intended for this book was achieved. How it's received yeah, you can't. Yeah, and I think that's the thing. You can't control that. I mean, you can just do your bit. And I think you've done your yeah. bit, you know, with flying colors and, you know, like, and the, the vetting of the idea just by, by virtue of you going through the process, you know, like the vetting of the idea and the product um, is already out there. Um, I like how you said, you know, like you got, you know, like you got other people to review it as well. 
Um, the link with Sam Cohen, she's a radio personality, right? Uh, yes, so radio personality, and she actually wrote a book about her because she's a recovering alcoholic as well. And uh, in 2017, when I took a sabbatical from drinking, I read her book on the rock. Uh, no, her book is uh, from whiskey to water. And I definitely recommend it. It's a, it's a very well written and considered book. Um, and so she's published by Melinda. So when we were going through our list of people who we think would be good for cover shouts, you know, that, uh, you know, people recognize and respect, you know, for me, I'm like a, a fan girl. If you can get Sam Cowan to do it. Hmm. Um, uh, and she she got Sam to do it, and wow. she she said the loveliest things about mm. my book, and it's just like wow. No, I, actually, that was a brilliant strategy. I mean, I didn't know that uh, in terms of the link, but I mean, that's a brilliant strategy as well. You know, if definitely Sam had a you know successful book out already, I mean, there would be an audience around that. I'm thinking like marketing now, but you know, like there would be an audience around that, and I mean, getting that you know that validation from someone. You know, as as uh, famous as that, this is amazing. Um, so yeah, it all just adds credibility, you know, to the whole thing. Um, going into the meat of it now a little bit. I mean, you know, the one thing that stuck out for me is I think you mentioned in the epilogue, uh, which is, you know, drinking is so part of our culture, and you know, I've got stories as well, <laughs> but mm. it's like. You know, it's like in everything we do, and I think you know, even with me, I'm like on on my you know on my family side, it's like uh, I mean, extended family, you know, cousins and stuff like that. It's like so rare to go to a function and not have alcohol. It's just like you know, we just don't do it. You know, and it's so easy. I mean, I actually left one of my jobs because it was one of those things that you can't really control. And you know, um, my wife Ingrid, I mean. I think, you know, because she never worked in corporate, she could never understand, you know, some of that peer pressure that you get. And it always just starts with one drink. I mean, let's just go for a drink. And that in itself is a problem because it's never one drink. Um, I love how you said that. And, you know, if you can unpack that a little bit for us, I mean, that would be amazing. Yeah, I think uh, the epilogue came to me. It was actually Sean, the editor, who said, do an epilogue. I mixed that whole epilogue in a in in a chapter and he said no 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 you you're saying something very pertinent here and it needs to stand out by itself because you are summarizing why you wrote this book and the challenges around drinking and I think I wanted people to understand I'm not that self-involved that I don't see I don't have context because there's some people who are going to read this book and they're going to be like but you don't have a problem. Like, this is not a serious problem. Like, your life wasn't falling apart. Like, you're being dramatic. Or I know somebody who drinks more than that. Or, you know, because, and, and you know, as I think what took me a long time to realize I had a problem was I also had those kind of comparisons. I was like, oh, but my life is not falling apart. But I go to work. But I, I function. But this, but this. So I made excuses. And I think we pretty much, that is the culture around drinking. You know, it is like if if it looks, if the veneer of respectability is there on, on the surface, then you're fine. Do you know what I mean? Like, are you getting your job done? 
have you been arrested? You know, um, have you gone to work drunk? No. Um, you know, are you paying your bills? No, like, what? You're knocking back a bottle and like, dude, I, I, know, I know worse, you know? Um, so we, we excuse it. And, and, and as because we excuse it, people get, I found, is that I got deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper into it. And, you know, I worked in, in a job with, where it was PR and communications for an international brand. And we traveled and we traveled with journalists and journalists, especially motoring journalists, drink. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you no, should, probably was... shouldn't be telling us that. <laughs> <laughs> um, and um, I... You know, I was drinking with them, you know, like, so we'd go on international trips, do what we have to do in the evenings, you know, have some wine with dinner, you know, and, 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 and it was part of being sociable. Nobody thought, I didn't think, but I was uncomfortable in 2016 with just, it felt like rinse and repeat. I was like in one big haze of drinking. And 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 I I just did not feel in control of it. I just I like I, I admitted to myself I don't feel like I'm in control. I need to almost just step back and take a break. And and that is where the book kicks off from from that perspective. Mm. Mm-hmm. No, I love that. I mean, I can resonate with it. Um, and I think, I mean, you, you touched on such an important point because I think when you're in that culture and, you know, you, you know, you, um, and it's, and it's normal. Um, I worked in two companies and, you know, in both those companies, uh, well, you know, the two I'm, I'm thinking about around drinking, but, you know, the, 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 my manager was like the head of the company. So, I mean, it was okay because we definitely came the next day drunk sometimes, <laughs> or you thought you were anyway, but, you know, you spend the whole day recovering from that hangover. And I can't see how you could be productive. And I think, you know, for me on a personal level, I think once I decided I'm going to stop at least, I mean, I, I still drink every so often, but, you know, not as much as, you know, we used to. Mm-hmm. And definitely, I mean, I can, I can remember the last time I, I drank as an example, but it was always like, yeah, you were never at your peak potential. I think that's the way I would put it. It's like, mm-hmm. yeah, as you said now, it's like, you know, it's like a haze. Uh, and once it, I... It, 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 and you're tired and you're mm. irritable and 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 ironically you want to drink again so that you can feel normal mm. <laughs> so it's like you're on this ferris wheel mm. <laughs> yeah no 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 i get it um i think the other word that came out and it was quite early in the book as well was the shame aspects um and i thought you know i, I resonated with that as well you know shame maybe guilty because you know like you, you would get and I think what changed it for me as well was like when we had children and uh, I remember thinking, you know, like, would I want, you know, our little one, you know, little daughter at that time to see me in that stage, you know, when I got home and I thought, you know, like obviously something has to change. And for me, it was as drastic as, you know, I had to leave the company because I couldn't control the environment, you know, and it was just the way it had to be. Um, I don't regret it at all, but I mean, I, that, you know, and there's hard choices, like you said now as well. It's like, you know, you have to leave a certain environment. I think for you, for, you know, like in many ways, it was forced in a way. 
uh, you know, about everything happening around us, which was a saving grace. But the fact that you could be brave enough to do that was amazing. And then tell the story, which is even cool. Um, but around the shame and the guilty part, was that a big thing? Yeah, because that's what actually alerted me to that I have a problem was the how it was starting like I tell myself I'm not going to drink tomorrow I'm not going to drink like you know I'd wake up from my hangover and I'd be like I'm not going to drink for the rest of the week and take a break and then I'd find myself drinking and and then I'd berate myself and there was just the sense of I didn't have control and and shame around that that I couldn't why can't I just not can I go through a week without drinking? And even if I did go through a week about drinking, I'm obsessing about drinking. You know, like, when can I drink? When can I get that drink? And when I get that drink, it's never just, you know, one drink. It, in that moment, it can be one drink. But I know that tomorrow, the day after, the, it's like a floodgate is going to open. And that's where the shame and and the feelings of guilt arose from that 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 the the constant obsession with it um the the feeling of not being in control um you know letting my betraying myself as i would say like i it was like i was constant constantly betraying myself yeah i mean i i definitely agree with that i mean um, and there's something about society i mean you know i said it was like not just one drink but it's amazing how that kind of snowballs, especially with the right social circle, I suppose. <laughs> you know, like there's certain people. But it's almost like when you tell people that you're not drinking as well, you know, it almost like seems like you're a leper. And I think once you, and obviously you've been through this now, but, you know, once you get through that first hurdle, um, you know, that social circle, then people probably accept it. But as you said, you know, once you do that one drink, then it's like, okay, you do drink. And then, you know, obviously, you know, um, all the gates are broken, but, um, yeah. So thanks very much for saying that. I mean, and is there anything, I mean, around your journey around, you know, this, um, you know, moving away from drinking, I mean, is there anything around that journey that taught you a lot more about yourself? I mean, absolutely. You know, people say what, how has life changed to, since you stopped drinking? just sorry I have a lisp that has developed in ad adulthood because I grind my teeth when okay. I sleep, so my jaw has moved mm. so sorry about that Never. I'm a bit self-conscious about it um so in terms of what happens when you stop drinking life doesn't become easier but what I find is that I have capacity I have emotional capacity for myself I'm present in how I feel. I can, I can think about things. I can dissect things. I can heal from things. I, I just have capacity. And I have capacity. I have boundaries. That's the other thing is I didn't have boundaries before. So I like, I worked all hours of the night and day, you know, i I, I basically didn't have a personal life because I was always working. And then I if I wasn't working, I was drinking, you know, um, and, and, um, and I, I think I allowed people to, to, too close to me. And I just didn't have a sense of myself. 
And I think over the last two years, the sense of my, the understanding of myself has become so much clearer that actually this is who I am. This is what I like. This is what makes me tick. This is what aggravates me. This is just understanding myself has made life so much easier. I, I, because I know myself now. I'm like, no, I, I don't do that. I don't want, I don't want to be a part of that. You know, it's, mm. it's, mm. it, whereas before there was this sort of gray, area I don't know why I didn't know myself my relationship mm. with myself was very very fractured which is why in the book I'm I write a lot about my therapy sessions because I want people to understand you know that therapy was key for me in in in, in building my relationship with myself and making me realize I had a problem because I went to therapy because I was having issues with relationships and like I why can't I keep a relationship? <laughs> yeah. You know, um, and in the first session, my therapist was like, you're an alcoholic. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> Not why I'm, here, why I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that, for me, that's what stopping drinking has, has given me. Like, such capacity like I can't I can't explain to you I I have capacity for my family for my friends um and for myself that I never had before because I was tired and irritated and just yeah Mm. and now I can also look at relationships differently like with people like I like you can see I can see a person now I'm like oh so this is how we've been operating like mm, it's not working for me or oh, it's working for me or oh you know this is how I was like it's 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 like it's like a whole world has opened up mm, that's amazing I was actually just writing down there uh, which you touched on very nicely is like being in that moment you know because if you're not in that moment you know because like when you're going out and then you know the next day you're sleeping through most of the day or so and then you're not really compass mentors you know and then as you said earlier in the, in the show as well you said you know then you're just waiting for that next drink i suppose um but you know what's surprised sorry there were blackouts so there i would lose chunks of an evening you know and then i have to phone people and be like how did I get home? What happened? What did I say? You know, I'd be worried, like, mm, what did I say? So I try to gauge people's moods or reactions to me, like, because I just didn't remember. Mm. And that's where the guiltiness and the shame kind of comes in as well, I suppose, as well, yeah. right? because you're not sure. Um, and was it with any alcohol, um, just off to, well, not off topic, but, you know, kind of related, but was it any alcohol? Because I, I found like certain people, I mean, if they drank like Jägermeister as an example, I mean, they would completely black out. I mean, Jägermeister was like a no, no, you know, but like people like would, um, so was it like a normal event that you would black out or it depended on like the amount of alcohol? It was because, so my, my poison of choice was Sauvignon Blanc. Okay. cold um and if it was a spirit it was a tequila a don julio or, or jose cuervo a double with a shot of lime on ice so those were my two go-to drinks and occasionally red wine 
But the thing is, it was the volume. Okay. That was the problem. Is mm-hmm. is that like? And I drink fast, so <laughs> you know. While some people are still mulling of their first one, I'm knocking into my second one. So yeah, yeah. it's like I was chasing, and mm-hmm. so I was drinking. And when I was drinking by myself, it was like I was knocking back a bottle, and then that wasn't enough. So I was climbing into the second bottle, and that's where the blackout came in. Mm-hmm. You know, like it's it's like. Three glasses, I can I can remember four things, get uh, five. Okay. So there's always like a, a point in the evening that I, my mind, I would always remember, okay, and then it's like, okay. and, and then I have to do a recon. I, I look at my phone. Oh, my God, who did I call? Oh, it was by <laughs> oh, myself. <okay. laughs> Were you one of the drunk callers? <laughs> okay. Yeah, I, you know, drunk calling people, having deep conversations and not remembering them next day or people calling you like, yeah, you called me yesterday. You were a bit liquid. Was everything okay? Um, you know, uh, being overly friendly with people. So then when you meet you when you're sober, you're kind of like, Hey, 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 like step back. And they're like, how oh, but the last time you were having such a good time. <laughs> so suppose, especially with work functions, that must be difficult. Hey. Right? Or work colleagues? Not so much. I, I I knew how to regulate myself at work. So work wasn't like for me, I, I knew I was at work and 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 I needed like even though I was drinking with the group, I needed to make sure that the group got home safely. I needed to make sure they got into their rooms. I needed to be the first person up. So when we were at work, it was actually I was quite controlled even though I was drinking, you know, and sometimes I would forget little bits of a conversation or what happened, but I was quite controlled. It was socially where it was just like, woo. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, And when I was by myself, those two were the two dangerous areas in a work situation. I could, I, I because I knew I had to be responsible. I, I always, would rate like what I would do is that with the group would drink and drink and drink and and sometimes I would watch them and not drink as much and then get back to my hotel room and order a glass of wine or two okay and and then sort of you know or if it was on a flight we we get onto the flight now you know, I'm, it's fine. We're sitting, they're watching movies, they're drinking. I'm drinking too, but I will be the first person up in the morning to make sure that, Hey, we need to get off. We need to catch a connecting flight. We need to do this. Mm. Okay, cool. Okay. It's, it's interesting that you could separate those out. Um, so it seemed more like a social and a personal aspect and, I suppose, but in the one part of the book, I remember you, you, you mentioned that, uh, you know, like texting your boss the next day saying, you know, I had a, you know, I had a rough night, you know, I'm not going to be in, uh, or <laughs> dinner didn't go well. Um, so is that how it affected work maybe a little bit? In 2016, yes and no. I would, what I was, what I was finding in what I found in 2016 is I was going to work hungover a lot more. Like, and I remember I would go downstairs to the canteen and have like a greasy breakfast and a Coke to 
and and then take um, painkillers, you know, to mm-hmm. to rectify myself. And around about twelve, I'd feel good so that I could power through the day and be productive. And and it was happening more and more and more and more and more. So it it wasn't a, f- a matter of me not going to work. No, I was pitching up. I was just pitching up hung over and and then having to sort of collect myself during the course of the day so I could be productive. Mm, okay, that makes sense. Um I think from a from a book point of view, I want to ask as well, because you mentioned quite a few people. Um, did you have to get permission to use their names? I mean, um, yeah, so I asked some of my friends. I said some of the people. Um, for instance, I, I, I mentioned doctors and stuff. The only person I, I, I mentioned in, in full is Professor Carol Bett, and I didn't ask her. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> But, uh, but my own doctors, my oncologists and stuff, I just shortened their names to Dr. G. Uh, my therapist, Ingrid, I just used her first name. I didn't okay. use her second name. Uh, some friends I spoke to, they wanted their names changed. Some were comfortable, like, you know. Mm. When I wrote the book, I was very, very conscious of not telling other mm. people's story. The focus was about me. So mm-hmm. I could not go into somebody else's story or tell somebody else details about somebody else. Like when I'm talking about other people, it's in con- it's in connection to me. I am mm-hmm. the focus. It is about me. So I was very, I tried very hard to do <clears throat> that. Okay, that's uh, thanks for clarifying that. I, w- I wasn't sure what the process is. So yeah, um, yeah, you do have to. You do have to ask people if they're comfortable, you know, and it's it's surprising, like, you know, some people, no, no, change my name. And, and like, if you only knew the part that I'm writing about, we're not even drinking, but okay. okay cool yeah and and i suppose with age as well maybe you forget as well uh but you know i think what you said now especially writing the book you had to relive some of that you know what you can remember and kind of piece it together and and do that which must have been you know pretty interesting but uh yeah there's always drinking stories though you know people remember you know like even when you know as i said with my extended family i mean there's drinking stories through our family and, you know, when we get together, it's always like, oh, you remember that time? And, yeah, it's always like that. Yeah, um, definitely. Um, when I look back on it, I didn't put it in as much as I could have. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I could have gone to town. <laughs> um, and I think I didn't want it to be about that. I, I wanted it to be about how it was affecting me, you know, and, and this journey that I was on to try and, you know, my denial to try and manage it, to to hide from it, you know. So all those other aspects, if I'd just written a book about my drinking tales, oh, it would have been a fun, ha, 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 fabulous yeah. <laughs> book. Mm-hmm. Um, which is probably an interesting point to start on, which is what do you want to get out of the the, the whole experience and, and the book, Tanda? Um, you know, when I was in therapy, one of the things I spoke about was the fact that I had never, 
as a writer, I had never written my own story. I always told other people's stories. And when I told my own story, I always wrote it under a pseudonym. So if I tell expert excerpts about myself and I had a column in the Sunday Times lifestyle and I hated it and because I had to write what I was thinking about myself and I struggled to do it. It, did, it was such a tedious process because I didn't want to be honest. And so when it came to writing this book, it was like, okay, I'm going to tell a story. I'm going to tell my story and I'm going to be honest about the other part of it is that when I realized I had a problem and I started looking for books to read there, there's a whole section called Quitlet and there are lots of books you can get, but they're written by white people and white women specifically. And I couldn't find a black woman's experience of being an alcoholic, recovering anything. You know what I mean? There, there were books out there that touched on the subject, but it wasn't the, the main part of the subject. So writing the book, there were lots of reasons why I decided to do it. You know, one was to tell my story and as a writer to own my story and be, and the other part of it is that there's not then there are hardly any books about recovery and the black experience. Mm. Is I mean, I, I, um, I have to ask though, is there a reason for that? Um, and, you know, the things that scream to mind for me is that does it become more an acceptance thing then? You know, like you have to be, you know, like, you know, is that a driver, you know, like Ford, like almost, um, I mean, like drinking a lot more. I mean, is there a reason? Well, is there a reason, firstly, that, you know, there isn't as many books because maybe there's not enough people telling it for some reason. Maybe they're not writers and storytellers like yourself. And secondly, I mean, uh, yeah, is it, you know, like, do you think it's more of an issue, I think, in the community? Is it is drinking an issue in the black community? Definitely. I, you know, just the response I've gotten from people, like, I've got this book. They're like, oh, my God, I know people, I, you know. And what I find is that online, there, there are lots of, on Instagram, Facebook, there are lots of recovery pages and uh, groups run by Black women. And some of them, you know, with a huge following, um, Black Sober Girls Club. I think is one. And they have like 30,000 followers based in the US. My thinking is that perhaps there isn't people who want to tell the story. Or number two is that publishing is quite discriminate. Okay. Do you know what I mean? Mm. And, and, and and in 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 what they think is interesting or what they think people want to know, so I'm 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 hoping for with this book is just you know if if somebody Google's black woman alcoholic okay hopefully my name doesn't come up all the time. <laughs> <laughs> mm. <laughs> um, <laughs> Definitely. 
Uh, but you know that there is a book that you know I'm I'm here. I I'm on the other side of it. You know, mm. um, and I'm a black woman. I love the transparency. I mean, uh, I've been following many entrepreneurs over the many years, and I think that's been a key trend. You know, keeping it real. I mean, even if you look at social media platforms like TikTok now, you know, they're all promoting that authentic self in a way and, you know, trying not to dress it up and be the best best version. And I, I really like that. Um, I also like the idea of what you said is in terms of almost pushing the narrative around some of the preconceptions that we have. I mean, I think of maybe it was last year or the previous year, but, the, you know, the head of Ultron, who stepped down now, but uh, Mteto Nyati, I think, um, he okay. came out with, with a book, you know, Betting on a Darkie. And it was about showing that, you know, leadership can be done, you know, like, and it doesn't just have to be a, you know, a white person that does it. And I thought that was interesting, you know, like, because Ultron became one of the, the darlings of the JSE over the last few years, and he completely, you know, turned that whole company around, and um, which was an amazing story. And I thought that was pretty cool. Um, I love the story as well. And if anything, you know, just helping us almost address it and and say, actually, maybe there is a problem. Maybe we should be looking at this. Um, and I feel quite excited about it for you as well, because maybe this is a start, you know, like like you said, you know, like having pseudonames and ghostwriting, but at least this could be Tondo's thing, you know, like, you know, you always need an edge. And now it opens up opportunities and doors and and all of that stuff, you know, going forward in terms of you finding that authentic voice as well. And saying, you know, this is what I'm about, and um, you know, I'm not, I'm not sure if you thought further than that, and how this turns out, but that is already amazing. I think oh, it is. I have thought far, like my oh, okay. visions and my <laughs> manifestations are huge, but oh, I'm not going to share them. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least you have the dream and you have the 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 plans, which is always amazing. It starts with that because that's how the neural pathways work. Um, if we had to introduce the show, you know, because and again, because you're such a good storyteller, um, how would you headline it? How would you introduce yourself to the world in terms of telling that story? Wow. Would it be the book title, <laughs> On the Rocks, with Tando Pato? <laughs> yeah, On the Rocks. A, a you know, a memoir of a high-functioning alcoholic. Okay. Um, book is the book is about recovery. It's about mental health. It's about denial. It's about self-discovery. It's about self-betrayal. It's about self-love. It's a book about growth. Mm. I think you. You you meet me at a particular point in my life, and you go in this like the book is about four years in my life, so it's not my entire drinking journey. No, um, and you go on this journey with me as I you know as life happens, and and I try and and deal with it, and and just how disconnected I was I think that's 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 what scared me how disconnected I was from my own feelings like whenever an emotion would pop up my first instinct was to drown it um 
you know, part of this in 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 a lot in this book, I talk about I was diagnosed with breast cancer, and I did not allow myself to feel in that year. I was terrified. I was terrified, and like now I can say it, I was terrified and I was anxious and. Even though, you know, things were clear, like I had to go through chemotherapy and that is a mental journey. For me, chemotherapy wasn't a physical journey. It was a mental and it really messed with me in through, you know, and I was also put into menopause. And so my body changed and my hormones were going. So there was all these things happening and my solace was alcohol. Yeah, I mean, and, and that's the difficulty with life as well. Hey, I mean, and it's not a linear part. Firstly, I mean, they don't tell you most of the things. And I mean, I think each one of us lives our own own journey. And, you know, we try to make the best at that moment. But even what you just said now, I mean, it's pretty deep and profound. And, you know, I can't imagine what that must have been like going through it. And, and I think anyone looking at it as well says, Okay, cool, I can understand why. You know, Tanda went down that that route, and I think there would be almost like a, a level of acceptance around it. But what's amazing about the story that you've that that you've you know penned is the fact that you decided you know it was not acceptable for you, and I think that is amazing. You know, and I, I remember the first time I met you as well, and you were speaking we were speaking about motorcycles actually, <laughs> because you were going for motorcycle lessons, and uh, and I thought that's interesting here because you don't find well, many women that want to do that. And then secondly, you know, many women that are actually doing it. And I think at that point, uh, and I don't know if it's changed now, but you know, you already bought the motorcycle and you were just like trying to figure out, you know, how to, to ride it properly. And you had like lessons. And I see even in the book, you do mention it a little bit in terms of not, you know, not going for your lessons. Well, I, I eventually sold the bike. And, um, what I realized with motorcycle lessons is I love being on a motorcycle. I really, really love it, but I love it as a passenger, not being in control. I'm a great driver. I know how to drive. I was probably an asshole. (laughs) (laughs) There's a particular brand I used to work for, which is renowned for being assholes (laughs) on the road. So I'm one of those. But when it comes to a bike, I have a level of an anxiety and 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 self trust issues that I just couldn't get past. So I'm comfortable in a yard, going around in circles and stuff like that. But the idea of the road and and there's so many elements to it. You know, like a, a bike. A bike is more visceral. Like the clutches here, the, the mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. like in a car back. Yeah. It's at your feet, and and if you've got a manual, you keep changing gear here. It's it's a totally different experience. So one of the things I had to make peace with is the fact that I love motorcycles. I still do. I I I think people who can ride motorcycles. I. Oh, I, I I love them already, even if, though I don't know their personalities. But I I made peace with the fact that I am a passenger, not, and I enjoy it more as a passenger because you literally hold on to somebody and then you 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 take in the world as you see it as it comes to you, and and I enjoy that much more than being in control of it. 
Okay. You you said that really well. Um, and I think the thing about being on a motorcycle is how vulnerable you are to everything. I mean, first yeah. you have to control this this beast. Um, and then secondly, you have to watch out for all of these things that are happening around you. And for me, I mean, like, it's it's almost like, it's like life, eh? Like, you're trying your best to, to control stuff. But, like, there's these things that are, well, you know, South African roads, you know, probably like a taxi is coming out, you know, maybe a pedestrian along the, that side. And then, uh, you know, the, the brand of the car you just mentioned is probably, you know, coming up the rear. <laughs> it's like all of those things are all happening at once. And, and then you have to turn. And yeah, it's, it's crazy. But yeah, as you said, I mean, uh, I think, um, and I think the other thing with motorcycling, um, you know, you would have seen as well is that there's a level of respect. And I think there was this guy I worked with and he was a, a mechanic, you know, for a motorcycle. Um, or, or yeah, he was a mechanic and uh, he, or, he was never in an accident. I don't know. I haven't spoken to him for a few years now, but, uh, and he, he's ridden for over 20 years. And he always said, when he gets onto the motorcycle, it's almost like game face on, you know, like you have to be in like another zone. You have to be, you know, perfectly compassmentous. And so drinking and drive riding is definitely a no, no, um, all of those kind of things. And, uh, uh, so it teaches you a lot, but it's interesting for yeah, me. And, and there's a great family and community around it, you know, and it's sort of like, you know, when you tell somebody I'm learning how to ride, they get excited. They're like, Oh, cool. Let me know if you know this. What are you doing? Who are you with? You know, there's, there's, there's a great, yeah, I enjoyed the community aspect of it, you know, and even on the road, like the little signals riders give each other like overtake. Mm -hmm. I, I felt, I thought it was the coolest thing, but it, it's very, this, I, I, I think I had to understand myself better and who I was and that I suffer from anxiety. And so riding is a totally different experience for me. Mm. You know, I, mm. I'm never going to be in the back. I'm never going to be riding S1000 double R. <laughs> <laughs> is that your the dream piece. bike? <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, there's something. I mean, I was I was taking uh, you know our daughter to an appointment yesterday or the previous day, and a bike, a super bike, pulls up next to us, and you know I just put my windows down because there's something about that sound. It either does something for you or it doesn't, and for most people, it does something for them, but you can't replicate it. Um, no, you can't. Nah. And and also just. I mean, you spoke about how vulnerable you are on a bike. It's it's like you you're naked because there's mm. it's it's the machine between your legs and a helmet, but everything is just within touching distance. You know, you don't have the bubble that you have when you're in a car, mm. and it's exhilarating. It's absolutely mm. it's it, it's it's terrifying, terrifying, exhilarating, all at the same time. Yeah. No, no, agreed. And and you can't switch off. I think with a car, I mean, like so often, I mean, like I do it all the time. But like, you know, if you're familiar with the route, I mean, you do zone out. You know, maybe it's like drinking, actually, because at certain points <laughs> you do black out. It's like, how do I get you? But, you know, with a bike, I don't think you can do that. You can't. No, you out. can't. You have to be yeah. present. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, you know, that's that's a cool lesson. I think we could probably spin that into a, you know, a whole this different discussion on how motorcycling is probably good for society. But um, yeah, in terms of this book, I mean, again, well done. Is there anything around this? Uh, and I mean, with the 
Uh, I say this with, with, with everything, but I hope the book launch goes amazing. I'm sure it will. You've got some really serious backers behind you, you know, in terms of Melinda and the rest of that team, um, and the people that have written, you know, the reviews for you. Um, and also seeing it in exclusive books, I think would be amazing. Um, we'll include all of those details. Um, is there, is there, an electronic version as well? Is it going to be on Amazon? Yes, so it, it, it will be available, not just exclusive books, but all major bookstores countrywide, online, Amazon. So take a lot. It's available in e-format. Yeah. Okay. Amazing. Yeah. So, I'm a big Kindle uh, fan. Yeah. So we'll definitely get the, the Kindle versions and I'll add that to the, you know, to the links um for the show but yeah well done um just before I, I let you go though is there anything around this topic that you thought you know i should have asked you that i didn't around the book around you as tondo pato around the subject matter not really i you know one of the things i think i wanted to highlight in the book and i think that it's an important discussion that we need to have you know i i i i, I talk about going to AA and how it didn't work for me. And I'm, I'm, I'm expecting a serious backlash from that community because it is a community. But also that recovery is a very personal journey and not everything, what works for somebody else may not work for you. You know what I mean? So you may read this book and be like, but I need to go to rehab. I need AA. And that's fine. That's you know your personal you when you recover you have to find what's comfortable for you you know I when I went to the AA meetings it wasn't that they weren't working for me I wasn't ready to get sober so I didn't know and then I had to get sober in a pandemic at home alone so I used online and that worked for me you know and and my therapist so I, I think the recovery journey is 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 a deeply personal one and it's not a one size fits all. You know, so um if you go to to AA or NA and you're not comfortable, it's not the end of the world. You know, find find the space that works for you. That's what's important because it you have to find the space that works for you so that you can maintain it. If you can't maintain it, yeah. Mm, I like that. I mean, uh, everything about what you said, and, and I think hopefully that's the angles that you're going to bring out uh, for, you know, after the book is launched is the fact that I think, well, firstly, mental health is not, you know, like I think it's still very misunderstood i think what you mentioned was probably the first time we've had because we speak to many practitioners as well but i think the the role of therapy is massive you know in people how, how because you don't know what you don't know right but you need someone to be honest with you and sometimes like you know has to scream at you and say actually you're doing nonsense and you know like we spoke about this for five times you know but you're still doing that you know and there's something about like you don't get that with family most of the time, you don't get it with your social circle. And you need someone that's on your side, but that's going to hold you accountable. And I think, you know, whether that's a coach or a therapist, but what I like about the therapy model is, you know, at least it comes from a discipline. Sorry, you were going to say? I'm going to say something else that's going to upset people, okay? 
your pastor cannot be your therapist. (laughs) (laughs) Your pastor has a role and your therapist has a role. Kelly, uh, Michelle Williams from Destiny's Child, she suffers from, from depression, severe depression. And she said it well. She said, prayer is a weapon. Therapy is a strategy. And that's what, you know, mental health is a spectrum and therapy helps you manage it. Do you know what I mean? And you you are not going to get the kind of um, help and and management you need from your your pastor, your best friend, your family. You must not be burdening those people. You know what I mean? Your therapist is there to 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 carry the weight of you and to help you navigate this journey so that you you can go out into the world and function. Mm, well said. I mean, that, that is amazing. And I think if more people firstly get to that level of understanding and consciousness, that would be amazing because I think it would make you know, the world a better place. Um, and secondly, I mean, I think what you said about you know, the AA and NA, if it's not working, find an alternative. I mean, we had a Ryan Barnard on, um, and he's a recovering drug addict. And he said, you know, I went through every you know, every program. And eventually he couldn't, you know, like it didn't work for him and he created his own. I mean, he runs a drug, I mean, he created a drug rehab center. And and I think it's the same kind of thing. It's like, find whatever is going to work for you, but there is help around and you just have to tap into that. And I think, you know, hopefully this book starts, you know, opening up those conversations. And I think hopefully, you know, like you get seen as a leader in terms of maybe helping people, you know, to make the, those brave steps as well. So, yeah, well done. Thanks very much for your time and thanks very much for doing this. Thank you, Oliver. I really enjoyed that. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. As always, stay tuned and we'll speak to you in the next episode. Mm-hmm.